0: Lord, we do indeed bless your holy name. We thank you so much that uh, even in the midst of difficulty and times of struggle, we look forward to that sure and certain hope of 10,000 years and forevermore. We thank you so much, Lord, and we praise you. Amen. Can you and I really change the mind of God? Can we take God at his word and then remind God of his promises? And what does God expect of us in return? We're now well into our covenant series, God's covenant promises. And we've been looking at how ever since the dawn of time, God has been seeking relationship with us. So today I want to speak. It's actually two Bible readings, not one, but two, uh, one free. Uh, and uh, it's going to be a talk in three chunks. I want to talk about Solomon when he stands between Israel and the temple and prays to God. And then I want to talk through uh, the whole topic of prayer, promises, priesthood and even pandemics. We've learned how God made us bearers of his image. He's placed creation under our care. God's given us choice to walk with him or to walk away from him. And in recent weeks, we've seen how God starts unveiling his blueprint through the early stages of the Bible, uh, his blueprint for restoring relationship. First of all, we saw with Abraham, he says, I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. You will be my people and I will be your God. To Moses, God said he's God said, as you lead a collection of these freed str- slaves out into the desert, you are going to be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And bit by bit, they're formed into a nation called Israel. And I was just reminding myself uh, the other day, Israel means both one who struggles with God and also simultaneously, it means one who God fights for. One who struggles with God and one who God's fights fights for and that in a sense is all of us as well then thirdly God meets with David do you remember how last week Erin shared how David told God I want to build you a house but God's response was basically I'm going to build you a house and God said I will establish a house for you I will establish your offspring's kingdom forever I will be my offspring's son father and he will be my son And then years after David has died and moved on, here is his first son, the first in the royal line, Solomon, standing before the whole of Israel. And he's literally in that gap between Israel and the temple. He stands in the front and he gathers together in front of this newly built temple, this stunning, new, beautiful temple, the envy of surrounding nations. And this is what happens next. Let's have our first Bible reading.
1: The first reading is from 2 Chronicles 6, verses 12 to 21. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Now he had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide and three cubits high, and had placed it in the centre of the outer court. He stood on the platform and then knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven. He said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it, as it is today. Now Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, You shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me according to my law as you have done. And now, Lord, the God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David come true. But will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet, Lord my God, give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence. May your eyes be open towards this temple day and night, this place of which you said you would put your name there. May you hear the prayer your servant's pr- servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive.
0: Now, in a moment, we'll be hearing God's response to Solomon's prayer. First of all, let's just reflect on what Solomon's just said. Solomon knows that God is a covenant God and Solomon calls out to God to be true to his covenant promises. He says, please keep your promise to David to keep a king on the throne forever. Please inhabit and remain in this temple. Please listen to your kings whenever they pray from here. Please listen to any of your people when they pray from here. And please, when we pray for forgiveness, hear us and forgive. And actually, a bit that you missed in the following verses, he then goes out to kind of lay out the small print of this contract. It's like Solomon's kind of saying, right, we've got this covenant, God. Can I just spell out what we are hoping to have from you? He lays out more specific details. If Israel are defeated, but they turn back to you when there is a drought because Israel have turned away, when famine or plague comes, if foreigners come to worship at this temple and pray to you, And even if your people are swept away into captivity by a foreign superpower, Lord, will you please hear and forgive? And indeed, this is why the temple, the place to seek God's forgiveness, becomes the epicenter of all of Israel's sacrifices. And this is why centuries later in the time of Jesus, people were still going back and forth to, the, to Jerusalem for festivals, for blessing of new babies, to do the annual sacrifices. The temple was the center for personal and national atonement. This is also why centuries later, after Solomon, it was devastating when the first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. And then centuries after that, when the second rebuilt temple was again destroyed by the Romans shortly after Jesus died. It was the center, the meeting point with God. So it was devastating. So Solomon prays in front of Israel, please, God, will you hear from heaven? Will you forgive And when we repent, will you uphold our cause? And then Solomon signs off this list of covenant requests. Remember the great love you promised your servant David. Okay, so what does Solomon's prayer on behalf of Israel teach us today? Well, it's one of the great biblical examples of what's called intercessory prayer or intercession. In a sense, that's what we're going to be doing. It's what we do every Sunday, a little bit later. Someone's going to stand on our behalf or sit wherever they were doing when they recorded these prayers, and they will pray to God on our behalf. And while in those days, only a few people, only kings and priests and certain people uh, could speak uh, and, and speak on behalf of God. Now, it's. To us, it's in all our gift to be able to intercede for loved ones, for family, for friends, for global circumstances and situations. So let's just reflect on intercessory prayer for a moment. One of the mysteries of our covenant relationship with God is that we can and actually we should come to God with our care for others. Not only our care for our family and friends and loved ones, but for global circumstances. It is literally, as I've said already, standing in the gap as Solomon did between Israel and the temple. We're called to stand in the gap between God and others. But how does it work? How can you or I get on our knees, talk to God and affect what happens in the world? Well, the simple answer is we don't know, but we may not know how it works, but we do know that it does. The Bible is full of people interceding, standing in the gap between God and other people and God responding to the desires of their heart. You've got Abraham praying. Uh, you've got Abraham praying for God to spare the, the town of Sodom. He asked God, will you save the city if you can find 50 faithful people? What about 40, 30? Would you save it if you could find 10 faithful people? And each time God's answer is yes, yes, yes. Or the story of Moses, when he pleads with God, God, will you please change your mind and not give up on this this nation of Israel? You've saved us from captivity in Egypt. Uh, You've made promises to make us your special people. And God answers, yes. Or there's a story about Elijah who stands in front of all these priests of other gods, um, of the God of Baal. And he says, God, will you please change your mind? Will you answer your prayer so that everyone will know that you alone are God? And God answers by sending fire on a heavily doused with water sacrifice. Now, in the prayer course these past few weeks, we've been learning um, about intercession. We've learned how, as we pray, your kingdom come, and as we seek to align ourselves with God's will, then incredibly, God hears and responds to ours. As Jesus puts it, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Pete Gregg in the prayer course likens our ability to affect our circumstances through prayer as an extension of our free will. God gives you the permission to walk out of your front door to do exactly what you please. It could be good, it could be bad. You decide. In the same way, as you pray, and say amen to god's will he hears and responds we partner with him bringing god's plans and purposes into effect the way he puts it is our human wills work in partnership with god's will centuries before the french philosopher blaise pascal i love this state statement he makes the dignity of causality has been bestowed on us Some way, mysteriously, as we stand in that gap between the world and God, we can affect through prayer and bring God's will and purposes into effect. So my first point today is that God calls us to be passionately prayerful on the world's behalf. As we pray daily, your kingdom come, God takes our prayers. He makes them a landing pad for his will to be done. God's purposes can be shaped and directed by your prayers and by my prayers. So, friends, I encourage you to stand in the gap as Solomon did. Pray to God confidently and expectantly, as if people's lives and circumstances depend on it. Pray using God's promises throughout Scripture. Pray for God to hear, to be present, to have mercy, to heal and to forgive. But I don't know about you, but I'm now eager to find out the next step. What is God's response to Solomon's intercession on behalf of Israel? Let's have our second Bible reading.
2: The second reading is taken from 2 Chronicles 7, verses 11 to 22. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, The Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish a royal throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you, and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them, and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. All who pass by will be appalled and say, Why has the Lord done such a thing to this land, to this temple? People will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshipping and serving them. That is why he brought all this disaster on them.
0: Thanks, Andy. And also thanks, Paula, for those readings this morning. So how does God respond to Solomon's prayer? As is so often the case with prayer, Solomon actually has to wait for his personal response from God until God's good timing. God comes and speaks to Solomon in the night. And God responds to all those situations and circumstances which Solomon's laid out with these wonderful words, which are a go to scripture for all of us as we understand God's covenantal relationship. And his word begins, his, his response begins with a big covenantal if. And it's an if-then response, really. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. But again, uh, just as Solomon's attention was fixed on the temple building and just as David's, his father's temple was fixed, his father's mind was fixed on the temple building. God reminds Solomon. He adds on. And if you, Solomon, walk before me, I will establish your royal throne. You shall never fail to have a ruler over Israel. And it's that reminder that actually God's purposes go beyond meeting in a building. His longing is to extend and work through people, among people. And he reminds Solomon that his promise and his covenant extends not just to Israel and not just to the temple, but to that royal line and, of course, forward facing to say, one day I'm going to send the ultimate king for the ultimate kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And that kingdom will be the son of David and he will be my son and I will be his father. But then God goes on and reminds Solomon of another if then as part of the covenant. But if you turn away, if you forsake my decrees and commands, if you go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel. I will reject this temple in fact people will be appalled at what happens to it and people will know that Israel's god has forsaken them and of course this is tragically what happens bit of a spoiler alert now and i'm probably going through the temple ends up being destroyed and that royal line is temporarily interrupted and god's chosen people are swept away into captivity in babylon But despite the exile, God is already at work on building new relationship, restoring and building a new covenant for the remnant of Israelites Israelites who will one day come back after exile to rebuild the city, rebuild a new temple. God begins all over again to give them another chance. And this is the next hallmark of our covenant relationship with God. Oh, sorry. There's a there's a picture of kind of a an image of the of the kind of sweeping away of the Babylon's and the destruction of the temple. But our next uh, our next uh, hallmark of covenant relationship is that God presses on with His promise of relationship. Just as we free, have our free will to go with God or to go our own way, God seems to press on relentlessly. He just can't let us go. And if that was true today, if that was true then, it is just as true of us today. You see, God's not only true to his promises, but when it comes to relationship, he won't let us go. He establishes relationship with Israel. They mess up. He comes back and he looks for a restoring relationship again and again. And it's the same for you and me. The biggest promise God makes is that he will always be with us. When we turn to him and when we turn back to him and when we turn back again to him, he's never the one who turns the way. He's the one that seeks to restore relationship. And it's in our power to keep it or to break it. But when that relationship is broken by us, the way to him is always open. Now, our next hallmark of covenantal relationship, God calls us to practice priesthood. Richard reminded us two weeks ago that Jesus made all of us who believes in him a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, standing in the gap between God and the world, just as Solomon did in that gap between Israel and the temple. You see, God's desire was never to be located just in buildings made of bricks and mortar. God's ultimate purpose through history was to move among and along with his people. And by contrast with Solomon, and thanks to Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in each one of us, the presence of the living God. Paul reminds us repeatedly in the New Testament, we are living, walking temples of God's presence. God promises to Moses, you will be a kingdom of priests. That promise has come true. He's talking about you and me. Thanks to God's Holy Spirit, we can, like Solomon, pray for individuals, pray for communities, pray for nations. You see, priestly status is not just for people with dog collars. Priestly status is for all of God's people. So in summary, God calls us to be passionately prayerful. He presses on with his promise of relationship and God calls us to practice priesthood. But there is an additional P in this story. Yeah, what about plagues and pandemics? In ordinary times, our ears might never have noticed these words in Solomon's prayer because it was so far from our experience. But I'm willing to bet that more than half of you listening to that reading did notice it today. It's suddenly very relevant and on our hearts, in case you missed it. God says in his response, when I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or I send a plague among my people, then I will hear from heaven to forgive their sin and heal their land. And that inclusion of the plague is really significant, and here's why. The whole reason the temple came to be where it was, was because it was on the very spot where David had cried out on behalf of Israel decades before for an end to a great plague which God had sent to Israel. And after God relented, David bought the land off the owner that owned that land on the hilltop of Zion. And he uh, he placed an altar there. And that became the site where the actual temple was built. So when Solomon prayed in the first instance to God, it was hugely significant that he prayed when a famine or plague comes. Uh, when a prayer or plea is made then please hear from heaven forgive each person deal with them according to what they do so that each will fear you and walk in your way ways plague was very much on everyone's mind as solomon prayed now There's many Christians today, when you scour the internet, there's many who are concluding, likewise, the COVID-19 pandemic has been sent by God as some form of judgment or punishment for our sin. Therefore, the first response of churches, nations and Christians should be to repent so that God turns it away. And I would say absolutely and emphatically with great conviction, that is not the case. First of all, the earth, the UK, the people of Reigate are not God's chosen people in the way that Israel was set apart to be God's chosen representatives. Jesus' new covenant is with us. It's a personal one, not a national one. And also, if you think about it, among other things, the infection rates of COVID would, would imply that BAME communities, the elderly, the UK itself, would have sinned more than others. It simply doesn't make sense. However, as living, walking temples of God's presence, called to stand in the gap, to intercede on behalf of the world, what are we to do with these words? Well, I'm suggesting that we respond in three ways. First of all, I'm sure it's what we're doing already. It's what we're doing every Sunday. It's what we're doing uh, in our prayer times. We must continue to pray passionately for the sick, for the bereaved, the anxious, the fearful. We need to pray passionately for the, those ruined financially those who've lost their businesses and livelihoods, we should continue to pray passionately for key workers going above and beyond in sustaining this country through the pandemic. However, I want to suggest two more things that we should be praying for. I think like Solomon, it's essential we're praying passionately and consistently against the threat of plague itself. We need to be praying against the virus, knowing God has sovereign power, knowing God is merciful, knowing God suffers along with his image bearers. It's vital that we cry out against the virus itself, against the virulence of the new strains. And we must acknowledge that the vaccines that we're celebrating now are only one small part of the solution. I don't know about you. I read this week and you may have read it's going to be years before many countries on this planet receive a vaccine. So their death tolls are going to continue ever onwards. Friends, COVID is not only a Reigate problem, it's a global problem and it is God's problem. It's essential that we intercede for the world, calling on God's promises to defend the vulnerable and the weak, regularly crying out to God, please, Lord, enough. If we won't, then who will? So let's pray passionately against the plague, against the pandemic itself. And thirdly, it's essential that we pray that God can bring good out of the pandemic that we find ourselves in. There is no way that this came from God. Let's be really clear about that. But a pattern that we see again and again through Scripture is that despite the impact of disease, despite the corruption of the fall, despite human wickedness, God can and frequently and regularly does bring good out of bad. So let's pray as Solomon prayed. When people spread out their hands towards you, will you hear from heaven? Will you forgive so that people will fear you and walk in your ways? We learned this week on the prayer course that the day the Berlin Wall fell, it was calculated that approximately 300,000 people were praying around Germany in churches. You may well know the story in World War II, how King George VI called for a national day of prayer. People literally queued in thousands to get into a church to pray. Wouldn't it be great if we as a nation were turned to pray passionately and fervently that God will bring good out of the pandemic? Now, our archbishops are encouraging everyone through Lent to pray specifically against the virus and its consequences So I wonder if you'd like to join me in setting yourself a daily alarm for six o'clock every evening so that right across the Anglican communion of churches, we can be united in a prayer. It doesn't have to be a long prayer, but wouldn't it be wonderful if thousands, millions were praying every every evening? Set yourself a daily alarm for the shortest prayer or the longest prayer, six o'clock all the way through this season of Lent. If you want more detail, there's resources on the Church of England website of how we can pray. There's prayers and suggestions. So let's continue to pray for people, people who are uh, there as we must, but let's also pray against the virus itself. And let's pray that even out of tragedy, God can bring good and call people to trust in him. God calls us to be passionately prayerful. God presses on with his promise of relationship and God calls us to practice priesthood. Let's pray as Solomon did, in the full confidence that God's eyes are open and his ears are attentive to the prayers offered by the temple of his people, you and I, as we lift our hearts and we passionately cry out to God. Amen. So let's finish in prayer. I think that would be appropriate. And astonishingly for me, I'm going to go right back to the first century, a prayer of someone called St Clement. We plead with you, Lord, to be our helper and protector. Save the afflicted among us. Have mercy on the lowly. Raise up the fallen. Appear to the needy. Heal the ungodly. Restore the wanderers of thy people. Feed the hungry. Ransom our prisoners. Raise up the sick. Comfort the faint-hearted. Lord, we do continue to pray with thanks, but also with urgency for those that are suffering uh, on uh, suffering uh, in serving our community. The key workers in so many different walks of life that are putting themselves out there on our behalf. And we thank you for them. But we pray too passionately and with great uh, anxiety and concern for those suffering bereavement and loss for those who are suffering uh, anxiety over uncertain economic futures and the loss of everything they may have built up in their businesses. Lord, we pray uh, for all those for whom this has been a dreadful time uh, of impact on their personal health, on the anguish of of mental health. Additionally, Lord, we pray in Jesus' powerful name that you will intervene in the course of the COVID pandemic worldwide Lord, we pray, as we know you can, that your power will overcome the evil of the virus. We pray you will push back the strains and the multiplication of the virus. And though it seems so forlorn and we don't know how to pray, Lord, we know that you are a God who brings hope out of chaos, who brings good out of evil. And we pray that even in these circumstances, you will uh, restore restore our communities, restore our people, restore, uh, restore our nations to live safely and productively. Lord, will you bring good? Will you turn people's hearts and minds to be aware of our loving covenant God who never gives up on relationship? In your wonderful, powerful relationship-building name we pray. Amen.